Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode two of Motive to Murder. On this week's episode... We are going to be covering the mysterious death of Kathleen Peterson. If you haven't seen this yet, jump onto Netflix. It's under a program or documentary called The Staircase. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter at Motive to Murder. And if you like our podcast, don't forget to leave us a five-star rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. Every review and rating means the world to us, so thank you for everybody who's done it so far. Michael Peterson was born 23rd of October 1943 near Nashville, Tennessee. He graduated from the Duke University with a bachelor's degree in political science. While there, Peterson was president of the Sigma Nu fraternity and was editor of the Chronicle, a daily student newspaper from 1964 to 1965. He attended classes at the law school of the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. After graduating, Peterson joined the US Department of Defense where he was assigned to research arguments supporting increased military involvement in Vietnam. That year, he also married Patricia Sue, who taught at an elementary school at the Rhine Main Air Base in Grafenhausen, West Germany. Together, they had two children, Clayton and Todd. In 1968, Peterson enlisted in the US States Marine Corps and served in the Vietnam War. In 1971, he received an honorable discharge with the rank of captain after a car accident in Japan left him with permanent disability. Peterson claimed he had won a silver star, a bronze star with valour and two purple hearts. He had all the medals but said he did not have the documentation to prove them. Peterson claimed he had received one purple heart after being hit by shrapnel when another soldier stepped on a landmine and the other when he was shot. He later admitted his war injury was not the result of the shrapnel wound in Vietnam but was the result of the car accident in Japan. 
where he was stationed after the war as a military policeman. The rally, North Carolina News and Observer, said records did not contain any mention of the two Purple Hearts that Peterson said he had received. However, military files verified that he received a Silver Star and a Bronze Star medal with valour. Peterson and his wife Patricia lived in Germany for some time. There, they befriended Elizabeth and George Ratliff and their two children, Margaret and Martha. After George's death, the Petersons and Ratliff families became very close. When Elizabeth Ratliff died in 1985, Michael became the guardian of her two children. After Michael and Patricia divorced in 1987, Clayton and Todd lived with Patricia, and Margaret and Martha stayed with Michael, who then moved to Durham, North Carolina. Todd and Clayton later also joined their father. Peterson wrote three novels based around the experiences during the Vietnamese conflict. The Immortal Dragon, A Time of War and A Bitter Peace. Peterson also worked as a newspaper columnist for the Durham Herald Sun, where his columns became known for their criticism of the police and of Durham County District Attorney James Harding Jr. Later, Harding would prosecute Peterson for the murder of his second wife, Kathleen. In 1989, Michael moved in with Kathleen Atwater, a successful Nautil business executive. They married in 1997, and Kathleen's daughter Caitlin joined the extended family that now consisted of Clayton, Todd, Martha and Margaret. Kathleen Peterson was born February 21, 1953, in Greensboro, North Carolina. Kathleen was a popular and accomplished student, engineer, volunteer and leader. She spent her school years in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, where she was voted Girl of the Year. During her high school years at Lancaster McCaskey High School, she was the president of the debating club, editor of the Generation School magazine, and was selected as the first high school student allowed to take advanced Latin classes at Franklin and Marshall College. Kathleen graduated from McCaskey as the number one student in her class of 473 students. She was selected to be published in the Who's Who book at American High School Students. Kathleen's scholastic achievements continued and excelled at Duke University, where she was selected as the first female student accepted into the School of Engineering in 1971. She received a BS in Civil Engineering and a Master's in Mechanical Engineering from Duke. Her career was exceptionally successful. She achieved executive level position at Baltimore Air Coil Pritchard, Merck, and finally Nortel. Kathleen received countless awards for her leadership skills and successes from Nortel Networks. In her works, she travelled extensively to Russia, Ukraine, Vietnam, Malaysia, Europe, Hong Kong and Canada. Kathleen was a prominent and active citizen of Durham. She served on the board of the Durham Arts Council, opened her home frequently to help the American Dance Festival and the Carolina Ballet. She gave willingly of her time and creative talents in cooking, decorating and entertaining to her community and neighbours. Kathleen's greatest accomplishment and pride was in the wonderful family that she raised. Kathleen and Michael's sprawling colonial home was located in Durham's Tony Forest Hills neighbourhood. Michael purchased the 9,372 square foot property in August 1992 for around $600,000. Curiously, though he was living with Kathleen at the time, his first wife Patty, from whom he was separated, 
co-signed for the loan, she did not sign the deed over to Michael until their divorce was finalised in 1996. The vast property featured a library, games room, a whopping five fireplaces, 14 foot ceilings, hardwood flooring throughout and a large master wing, lovely grounds and an outdoor pool. There is no arguing that the couple had their children, lived in a beautiful home. So beloved was the residence that Kathleen and Michael decided to tie the knot here, surrounded by family and friends on June 21st 1997. Michael and Kathleen led an extravagant lifestyle and were by all accounts happy. On the 8th of December 2001, Michael Peterson and Kathleen Peterson decided to rent a film from Blockbuster Video. The film, American Sweethearts, was a film that they both enjoyed and loved to watch. This was a normal evening, and usually Michael and Kathleen would spend their nights out on the balcony or down by the pool talking or sharing stories together. On the 9th of December 2001, in the early hours of the morning, Kathleen decided to call it a night and told Michael that she would be heading to bed. Michael responded by telling her that he would be up shortly as well. He was just going to sit out for a little bit. Approximately 2.40am, Michael called an emergency line to report that he had just found Kathleen unconscious in their Forest Hills home after apparently falling down the stairs. Sadly, Kathleen died as a result of her injuries. Michael Peterson claimed that she must have fallen down the stairs after consuming alcohol and Valium. Toxicology results showed that Kathleen's blood alcohol content was 0.07%, 70 milligrams out of 100 mil, just shy of the legal limit for driving in North Carolina. An autopsy report concluded that the 48-year-old Kathleen sustained varied severe injuries, including a fracture of the superior cornu of the left thyroid cartilage and seven lacerations to the top and the back of her head, consistent with blows from a blunt object, and had died from blood loss 90 minutes to two hours after sustaining the injuries. The medical examiner, Deborah Radish, concluded that Kathleen had died from lacerations of the scalp caused by a homicidal assault. According to Radish, the total of seven lacerations to the top and the back of Kathleen's head were the result of repeated blows with a light yet rigid weapon. As Michael Peterson was the only person at the house at the time of Kathleen's death, he was the prime suspect and was soon charged with murder. A trial date was set for July 2003. However, before the trial started, the Durham court ordered the exhumation of Elizabeth Ratliff's embalmed body buried in Texas for a second autopsy in April 2003. Elizabeth Ratliff, the friend of the Petersons who died in Germany in 1985, had also been found dead at the foot of her staircase with injuries to the head. Her death had been investigated by both the German police and US military police. An autopsy at the time of her death concluded that Ratliff died from an intracerebral haemorrhage secondary to the blood coagulation disorder von Wilbrand's disease. 
based on blood in her cerebrospinal fluid and reports that she had been suffering severe persistent headaches in the weeks leading up to her death, the coroner determined that the haemorrhage resulted in immediate death followed by Ratcliffe falling down the stairs after collapsing. The Petersons had dinner with Ratcliffe and the daughters and Peterson had stayed and helped Ratcliffe put the children to bed before going home. The children's nanny, Barbara, discovered the body when she arrived the next morning. Peterson was the last known person to see her alive, just as he was with Kathleen. Arrangements were made for the Durham Medical Examiner, who would initially perform Kathleen Peterson's autopsy to perform this re-evaluation over the objections of the Defence Counsel, who argued that the autopsy should be performed by the Texas Medical Examiners. The body was then transported from Texas to Durham, the Durham Medical Examiner found sufficient evidence drawn from the results of the second autopsy along with new witness statements describing the scene. The prosecution then requested that the previous autopsy be overturned after the new findings and list Elizabeth Ratliff's death as homicide. During the trial, details of Peterson's private life emerged, casting more doubt on his sequence of events. The prosecution focused on Michael Peterson's alleged misreporting of his military service and what they described as a gay life he led and kept secret. Michael Peterson claimed that he had been honourably discharged as a result of injury during the Vietnam War, but in truth, he was injured in a car crash in Japan. The prosecution contended that the Petersons' marriage was far from happy, suggesting that Kathleen had discovered Michael's secret gay life and wanted to end their marriage. It was the main motive that the prosecution offered at the trial for Kathleen's alleged murder. According to the Assistant District Attorney, Frieda Black, Kathleen would have been infuriated by learning that her husband, who she truly loved, was bisexual and having an extramarital relationship, not with another woman, but with a man, which would have been humiliating and embarrassing for her. The prosecution believed that once she learned of this information, and an argument ensued and a homicide occurred. Michael's defence lawyer, David Rudolph, argued that Kathleen accepted Michael's bisexuality and that the marriage was very happy, a position supported by Michael and Kathleen's children and other friends and associates. My father had received a computer virus several months earlier. What the virus did is that it uh, took all the files on your desktop and it uh, snatched them up and it would email to everybody on his email list. Everything. So this would include book chapters, photographs, software, and including uh, these pictures you're talking about. I was over at the house one weekend, like usual, watching a football game. And on my way to the, uh, the TV room, I'd heard a uh, discussion inside the, uh, the kitchen that sounded pretty interesting. And I uh, kind of creeped up closer into the kitchen, uh, listening in. And it was Kathleen talking to my father about photographs on his computer saying, I want you to get them off. These possibly could have been sent out to our friends, to our neighbors, and I want you to get them off. If you ever get this again, I don't want this to have to be concerned about us. So it was a full conversation completely acknowledging the fact. And what was Kathleen's attitude at that time? Brad Walgamot, an escort whom Michael Peterson had contacted, also testified in court. 
What types of sources did you perform? Oh, well, that's that's pretty broad. Uh, basically, it's um, a companionship uh, for other males of legal age. During your um, conversations with Mr. Pearson, did you all actually even discuss the price for your services? I believe we did. And what was the price that you quoted him? I believe it was $150. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Okay, was that your normal um, price that you would have for most any clock? In the beginning of my short career, yes. Okay, you're talking about this career that we're speaking of in that yes, prostitution career. Oh. Sir, well, um, I do prefer to call it escort. Escort. Okay, okay, thank you. Okay. Did you all actually discuss what you were going to do when you when you were to get together on September 5th of 2001? Yes, ma'am. What were you all planning on doing? Having uh, sex. Prosecution went on to say that Kathleen's murder was most likely committed with a custom-made fireplace poker called a blowpoke. It had been a gift to the Petersons from Kathleen's sister, but was missing from the house at the time of the investigation. Later in the trial, the defence team produced the missing blowpoke, 
which they said have been overlooked in the garage by police investigators. Forensic tests revealed that it had been untouched and unmoved for too long to have been used in the murder. A juror who was contacted after the trial noted that the jury dismissed the idea of the blowpoke being the murder weapon. Regardless of this, on the 10th of October 2003, after one of the longest trials in North Carolina history, approximately 13 weeks, a Durham County jury found Peterson guilty of the murder of Kathleen and he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Denial of parole requires premeditation. Despite the jury accepting the murder was a spur-of-the-moment crime, they also found it was premeditated. As one of the jurors explained it, premeditated meant not only planning hours or days ahead, but could also mean planning in the seconds before committing the spur-of-the-moment crime. Michael Peterson always maintained his innocence, and an appeal was filed by his defence counsel, Thomas Mayer, now serving as his court-appointed attorney, and was argued before the North Carolina Court of Appeals on April 18, 2006. On September 19, the Court of Appeals rejected Peterson's arguments that he did not get a fair trial because he repeated judicial mistakes. The appeals ruling said the evidence was fairly admitted. The judges did find defects in a search warrant, but said that it had no ill effect on the defence. Because the ruling was not unanimous, under North Carolina law, Peterson had the right to appeal to the North Carolina Supreme Court, which was accepted. On November 12, 2008, Michael Peterson's attorneys filed a motion for a new trial in Durham County Court on three grounds that the prosecution withheld evidence about the blowpoke and that the prosecution used an expert witness whose qualifications had been disputed and that one juror based his judgment on racial factors. On the 10th of March 2009, Peterson's motion was denied by the Durham County Supreme Court. In late 2009, a new theory about Kathleen's death was raised, that she had been attacked by a barred owl outside, fallen after rushing inside and being knocked unconscious after hitting her head on the first tread of the stairs. The owl theory was raised by Durham attorney T. Lawrence Pollard, a neighbour of the Petersons who was not involved in the case but had been following the public details. He approached the police suggesting an owl might have been responsible after reading the North Carolina State Bureau of Investigation evidence list and finding a feather listed. Peterson's attorney had determined that the SBI crime lab reported listed a microscopic owl feather and a wooden slither from a tree climb entangled in a clump of hair that had been pulled out by the roots found clutched in Kathleen's left hand. A re-examination of the hair in September 2008 had found two more microscopic owl feathers. Pollard suggested that had the jury been presented with this evidence that it would have affected the outcome of the verdict. Prosecutors have ridiculed the claim and Deborah Radzich, who conducted Kathleen's autopsy, so it was unlikely that an owl or any other bird could have made wounds as deep as those on her scalp. However, Radzic's opinion was challenged by other experts in three separate affidavits filed in 2010. Mm -hmm. North Carolina attorney General Roy Cooper led an investigation which resulted in the suspension of SBI analyst Dwayne Deaver, one of the principal witnesses against Peterson, after the report found his work among the worst done on scores of flawed criminal cases. Pollard subsequently filed affidavits to support the motion that Superior Court Judge Orlando Hudson ordered the State Medical Examiner's Office to turn over all documentation 
related to Kathleen's autopsy to Peterson's attorneys. However, Judge Hudson barred Pollard from filing further motions on behalf of Peterson because he did not represent him. In August 2010, a new motion was filed by David Rudolph, one of Peterson's original attorneys who acted pro bono in proceedings challenging the SBI's testimony. In January 2011, Dwayne Deaver was fired from the SBI after an independent audit of the agency found he had falsely represented evidence in 34 cases, including withholding negative results in the case of Greg Taylor, a North Carolina man who spent 17 years in prison on a murder conviction based on Deaver's testimony. A bloodstain analysis team that Deaver had trained was suspended and disbanded. In the 2003 Peterson trial, Deaver testified that he had been mentored by SBI bloodstain specialist David Spittle, had worked 500 bloodstain cases, written 200 reports and testified in 60 cases. During the retrial hearing, SBI Assistant Director Eric Hooks testified that Deaver had written only 47 reports. Spittle testified that he could not recall mentoring Deaver, who since completing a two-day training course in the 1980s, had testified in only four cases, the Peterson case being the third. The SBI cited the bloodstain analysis given in the fourth case as the reason for firing Deaver. On the 16th of December 2011, Michael Peterson was released from the Durham County Jail on a $300,000 bail and placed under house arrest with an ankle bracelet. His release on bond followed a judicial order for a new trial after Judge Hudson found that Deaver had given maternally misleading and deliberately false testimony. Due to this evidence, a new trial was set to begin on the 8th of May 2017. On February 24, 2017, Peterson entered an Alford plea. An Alford plea is a guilty plea entered because sufficient evidence exists to convict him of the offence, but the defendant asserts innocence. The judge sentenced him to a maximum of 86 months in prison, with the credit of time previously served. Because Peterson had already served more than that time sentence, 98.5 months, he did not face any additional prison time. Michael Peterson was now a free man. In December 2021, I came across an audio file and video on YouTube, which seems to be Todd Peterson talking about his father, talking about that he's changed his mind on what he thought about his father, and now he thinks that his father killed Elizabeth, Kathleen, and even his own mother. Final pieces that made it all sense, okay? I didn't go to my mom's funeral about four months ago. She was my best friend. I was with her when she, uh, the day she died, I was with her when she died. My father waited three hours while my mom was having a heart attack, didn't call the cops. When I came over within seven minutes, I called the cops, nine in the morning. My mom would be alive today if it weren't for my father. Anyways, it's all about this, man. About the insurance, uh, when they got divorced, my mom ended up with all the stuff my dad wanted. It's unbelievable, it's so petty. You know, my dad wanted the, uh, my dad wanted like this like George V teapot, sterling silver teapot. You know, it's not a lot, I mean, you know, my mom probably has a couple hundred thousand, maybe half a million of artwork, maybe a million, but more importantly, the easy to see stuff is just called silverware. It's easy because it's silver and it's, it should be there. All gone. All gone. 
obviously down the street. Another conversation I talked about the bizarre behavior of my father immediately after my mother's death and him taking all this stuff. My mom died in front of me twice, actually. I saved her the first time. Her body failed her, so we had to pull the plug off her. Most inhumane thing in the world. I brought my mom back from death the first time. Did CPR for that, I don't know, 10 minutes or so. So we both agreed, my dad and I, I mean, she died while we were on, while I was on the phone with 911. Anyways, I couldn't go back in the house for a while. So finally I asked my dad to help me get things and move things. I couldn't set foot in the house. Well, by the second or third day, it was pretty awful. By the fourth day, I think that was when he tried to break my supervisor. I have it all on notes, but it's a fucking monster. Anyways, you know, she's a sociopath. He goes hot, he goes cold. If Kathleen was going to leave him, which was a very strange final conversation that she had with me. Uh, the last conversation that she had with me, uh, you know, it's not a smoking gun at all, but it's very strange because it, it was basically her talking about how she believed that in life you have three relationships, one in your 20s, you know, 25 to 35, one 45 to 55, and then the other one from like, you know, 60 to the rest of your life. My dad was the, uh, the second relationship there. He wasn't the third one. Kathleen was like in her 40, late 40s, I think, early 50s. It was the weirdest damn conversation I have ever seen. Not even ever seen anything. Obviously, I didn't think my dad did it. It would have been a very harmful conversation to have heard about. Because if she left him, he would have had to move out of the house of 18 and Cedar Street because he didn't have the cash flow because his books were getting rejected left and right. And while we did have good news about a movie, that stuff is pie in the sky and is statistically unlikely. Whereas the fact that his financial stress was very real. If she had left him, he would have been devastated. It is true they had the world's greatest relationship. They never fought. They literally had the world's greatest relationship. You can talk to any girl I've ever dated. Bad boyfriend. Blame my father for that one, called bad parenting made me a bad person, but I'm a good person now, but I was a very bad boyfriend for many years. And admittedly, I haven't been in a relationship since I got sober. I think it's best just to be very devout and not burden other women with me, frankly speaking. So I'm assuming I'm a good person now, but I can't say it for fact. Unbelievably, my dad and Kathleen actually had the world's greatest relationship. I do not know how it's possible. <laughs> I think he's gay, for the record. I know he's bisexual, but... I've never seen that man have a heterosexual experience that was authentic in my life. Other than they did have a great relationship with Kathleen, but that dude, he goes off when he sees men. I've never seen him go off when he sees a woman. Anyways, I think I'm just now procrastinating on a porn fucking phone call. I gotta call the cops and see if I get my father arrested tonight because, you know, he's taking out hits on people in prison. I know this because I helped him one after the fact where I helped send the money when I go visit him. Like I said, I'm not innocent on a lot of things, but I do have firsthand experience of my father taking out people. He left a very clear message to me uh, that a hit would come my way. I hate to use the word white supremacy, but these dudes were pretty fucking hardcore biker dudes. 
I don't want to fuck with him. Anyways, I've made a lot of emails lately to my brother saying that my dad's a serial killer. I've made a, I've emailed family over the last couple of years telling my father's a serial killer. My mom really worked on me, so I changed my mind when I came back a couple of years ago. But uh, I'm back thinking he's a fucking serial killer. This man should spend the rest of his life in jail. And if we can't convict him in court, that's why I have this video so I can convict him in the court of public opinion. Whether it's TikTok or Facebook or Instagram, but this guy's a monster. I mean, I'm unsure about the legitimacy of this video. It is clearly Todd Peterson. You can see that he has lost a bit of weight from The Staircase on Netflix. He does look slightly different, but you can tell that it is Todd Peterson. And now in this, he has accused his dad of being a serial killer and that his dad's motive was money because his books were failing and that he didn't have any money coming in and that Kathleen Peterson was planning on leaving him. And this is why he believes that he's a serial killer. Let me know what you think on Instagram. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. It's been crazy. It's had twists. It's had turns. But it is an interesting one and it is a mystery. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you've enjoyed it, rate it five star on whatever application you are listening to it on. And give us a follow on Instagram. Thank you for listening and hope to see you again next week.